All right, well, welcome everybody. Um, I want to say hello to everyone in the back. This is this bothers me that I'm this far away from you guys, but um, can you hear? Okay, everybody, good. Okay, if yeah, if you if yeah, that's right. If you can't um, if you can't at some point here, just wave at me, okay? Or if I lose you. Um, all right, welcome to Old Testament. This is our sixth session. Is that right? I think that's sixth section session. Um, I'm Chris, if I haven't met um, all of you, and grateful to be jumping in here tonight. And I thought, um, well, I want, I want to pray, and then I want to start just with a few, a few things about Academy. And if we could um, have a little bit of a common discussion to begin. So I'm going to ask you a question, and if you feel comfortable, you can just kind of holler out, um, and then we'll, we'll jump into our text tonight. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, um, if you were able to get to the work, you know that we're primarily in the book of Exodus. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have it on a device and you want to go ahead and uh, turn it open or turn it on, you can uh, open to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. That's going to be our first text uh, tonight. So maybe when you're t- while you're turning there, let me, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll get started tonight. Lord, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the, the chance to share the scriptures, to open your word. Um, we think about you walking on the road to Emmaus uh, with, with two of your followers and the scripture reminds us that as you opened up the, the prophets um, and the scriptures, you explained everything concerning yourself to them. And so as we, as we hold the Old Testament tonight, the Hebrew Testament, um, it's a story about you. And so as we learn more, um, as we understand more, help us to keep coming back to this is, this is one story that is, that is about Jesus. Um, so help us tonight to lift you up, Jesus. You, you tell us that if you are lifted up, you'll draw all people to yourself. And so I, w- I want to pray for someone tonight that just walks in here heavy burdened, um, maybe thought about not coming. And I just want to pray that uh, more than anything that's said, that, that they would encounter you tonight and that they would be reminded of your word uh, to take on your burden, which is easy and light. Um, and that you want to take their burdens. Um, and as we come to your word, may we just be refreshed and renewed um, as we leave here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Okay. Um, so I just want, I don't want to miss the opportunity to share a little bit about um, just just a vision for New City Academy. And I know Tammy has shared this as well. Tammy Metters in the back, all of you know, of course, and she's the director of New City Academy. And last summer, we had a dream um, for this, and to create a space for New City Academy to equip believers to be disciple makers. So uh, we wanted a space where we could go deeper into the scriptures, uh, where we could go deeper into our hearts and our character, and also a place where we could equip believers in the skills of disciple making. And I just want to take a moment and share about that because, of course, we want to learn more about God's Word, and hopefully uh, even six weeks in, you're learning and growing and your understanding of God's word. Uh, we want to know more about our story and who we are as people um, and our character. And of course, we want to learn practical skills. But more than any of that, we want to be equipped to be disciple makers of other people. You know, that's what God has called us to be. And so New City Academy for our church is the environment and space where we want to take believers and help them to go deeper into the word, deeper into their own story and character, and learning the skills um, you know, as leaders and disciple makers to go into your workplace, to your family, your neighborhood, and feel like you're, you know, competent and called to be able to sit with someone and guide them in a conversation to Jesus. And so I just want to foot stomp that. I know you've heard that, uh, but it's really important for us in the context of learning lots of things. And learning's wonderful, but knowing a bunch of things is not the end game. Um, you know, Paul said, if I, if I have all knowledge but don't have love, I'm, I'm a resounding gong. Well, what did he mean? Well, it's not just enough to know a bunch of things. Um, it's that the affection of my heart is getting warmer towards God, uh, warmer towards other people and guiding them in their story to God. And God calls each of us to be a disciple maker. And here's the secret, guys, and you, you know this, that the best way to grow your faith is to help someone else grow their faith. And that's how God designed us. Um, that as we help other people find him and follow after him, we grow. Um, and and we, when we're discipled, and we have to go deeper into our stories. And, you know, you'll never learn the scriptures more than when you have to teach the scriptures to someone else 
or you know, you go and lead a, I know some of you do in next gen, a third, a third grade boys Bible study, and they say, you know, do you believe in aliens? And what does the Bible say about aliens? And you say, I'll come back to you on that. And then the next week, you really have to figure out what does the Bible say about this, and what you know, or does it say anything at all? And you really have to dig into it. That's the whole point. Um, is that there's an outflow to what you're learning. And so I didn't want to miss the opportunity while I'm with you in this session to just remind you about the journey and you know what you've committed to. And I just want to encourage you that as you uh, learn the scriptures in a deeper way, hopefully a more meaningful way, um, as you get to know one another around tables, this is intentional that we sit together, that we have a meal together, that we're in a, a space like this to build community the end state is that you're going to feel more equipped and called to help other people in their journey and be a disciple maker. Because ultimately, that's what God's called you to be, to be his disciple and to go and make other disciples. Okay? Um, so Old Testament um, is our foundational class. And then we have a New Testament class on the other side of the building uh, that's happening. And that folks that went through the course that you're going through right now uh, last year, I think we had about 125 that went through it last year in our first round. Um, and they've moved on to New Testament, and then we added a class called Discovering Jesus, which is where I'm spending my time this semester, which has been so much fun. Um, we've got about 25 people um, all across the board in faith, uh, people that have been following Jesus for a while, people that are just beginning to follow Jesus, people that are kicking the tires on what it means uh, to be a Christian, people that are a little bit skeptical, all over the board, and it's been such a delight um, to sit with them and to be with them. And we're using Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew. Um, which is an incredible work. Um, if you're looking for a, um, another read, I know you've probably got uh, your dance call f- card full of, of books, but um, The Jesus I Never Knew, I can't you know, recommend highly enough. And that's been such a wonderful thing for us um, to create a space for people who are beginning their journey um, and really you know, knowing more about the person of Jesus. And then in the years to come, just to say, we want to add more classes, um, more skill-based classes um, and things to help us go deeper in our own stories. And then Flourish, our women's Bible studies, have joined us this year in Academy as well. Um, and so they meet on Wednesday night and on Tuesday morning. So I think we have, gosh, maybe four, four or 500 people in Academy now total. So uh, it's been a, just a wonderful thing. And um, I didn't want to miss the opportunity just to encourage you for taking the time. I know that there's a million things you could be doing, um, and everybody's stretched then. But you're investing, you know, in your own spiritual growth. But not only that, you're investing in the people that are around you that you may not even know yet that God's going to use the things you're learning to pour into them. Um, and that's the whole desire of Academy is that you would feel more equipped to go and do the work of ministry. That's what God calls us to do in Ephesians chapter four. Okay. So where are we in the story so far? Okay. This, that's, and that's not rhetorical. Where, where are we? Where are we in the story? All right. We're, we've, we've covered five sessions. Uh, obviously we're in the book of Exodus. What has happened so far in the story? Of the scriptures, and you just call out. Just and it could be a word, or just a, a character, or a story that comes to mind as you've studied. Where are we in the story? Okay, burning bush. We're going to cover that tonight. Yep. Where have we been? What's gotten us here? Creation. Okay. Okay. We, we fall. Uh, Genesis three. Abraham's covenant. Yep. Which a bonus question was conditional or unconditional? Yeah. Okay, that's okay. Um, we'll talk about the conditional one tonight. Where, what else has gone on? What got, who got us to Egypt? Longest personal narrative in Genesis. N- longest personal narrative in the Old Testament. Joseph. What a story, right? Amazing story. Anything else in the session so far that sticks out to you that you've learned or that surprised you or has gotten us to where we are now? Jacob and Esau. Yeah, what a story. Kind of perplexing. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. Yeah, we won't, won't, I'm not going to chase that rabbit tonight. But yeah, really interesting. Anything else? Yes. Sometimes in these narratives, the younger brothers are the ones that end up uh, getting the birthright and taking the lead. Surprising characters. Anything else? Yes. 
Yes, if you couldn't hear in the back, we talked to, uh, Daniel mentioned parallels. You, know, you just start seeing parallels of stories, uh, things that are common to man uh, and just humanity, things that we even have parallel in our lives now, but then parallels even in the biblical stories of different characters and people. Okay, I don't want to cut anybody off, but anybody itching to say something? Okay. All right, so now we're in Egypt, right? And Joseph um, was sold into slavery and is taken to Egypt. And we know uh, from the end of Genesis that he blesses his brothers who eventually come to Egypt because there's a famine. And he says those amazing words in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Um, which is what a great prayer and blessing for things in our lives, uh, right? Someone mentioned before just the providence of God um, and the story of God that we're studying and how things that people mean for evil or destruction or you know, confusion, that God can use that and take it uh, for good. And um, everything that Joseph touches, uh, what happens? It, it, it prospers. Um, God just gives him favor, and he rises all the way to the second position in Egypt as prime minister. Uh, if you can imagine that, um, someone who was a non-Egyptian who comes all the way up in the government and becomes uh, arguably the most important person in the world, um, advising Pharaoh and preparing for famine and all the things. But then we get to our text tonight, and I wanted to start us in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now, I'm reading from, um, we can talk about Bible translations sometime. That would be fun. But um, I've got my NLT study Bible. I have an ESV study Bible as well. But um, we can, any version of uh, the scriptures that you have are okay tonight to, to read. I'm going to be reading from the NLT though. So if you have a different version than the NLT, it may be a little bit different. We can, again, um, I've just did a whole teaching on uh, translations, and maybe we'll do that as a church sometime to talk about that and kind of how you pick a translation and, and what have you. But uh, if someone has Exodus 1, verse 8, let's just start there. And because I feel like I'm going to be talking a lot tonight, I'd love to have readers, so I'm just going to call on you. I don't know if anybody else has done this, so if I'm the weird teacher, forgive me. But I would just love for us to have more of a common conversation. So if you have Exodus 1, 8, if someone, if you got it, just go ahead and just go ahead and speak it out. Okay. So uh, a mouthful there. I don't know if you could hear it in the back, but eventually a new king, a new pharaoh comes to power in Egypt that didn't know Joseph and didn't know anything that he had done. Uh, my translation, what have you done for me lately? Uh, J- Joseph is the one that, that saves Egypt. Um, he's the one that um, helps ra- uh, raise them um, to uh, you know, global dominance and power, and yet a generation later, a new pharaoh rises who doesn't know Joseph. Um, and doesn't care about him, and sees the people as a threat. Now, let's just take a quick time out and talk about the story, because remember, the Old Testament is telling one story with the New Testament about Jesus. And the further we go in here, and Dr. Kaminsky, you know, who wrote uh, the work, uh, is continuing to drive us back to the one narrative story, that all the stories tell us the story of Jesus. They're all pointing to one story. Now, here's the crazy thing about that. The scriptures were collected and written, over a period of 1,500 years, Old and New Testament, and written by 40 different earthly authors in three different languages uh, in multiple contexts and geographical spaces, and yet are telling one story. Now, how did that happen? Um, because ultimately, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's inspiring and writing the scriptures through people and t- to tell one story, one redemptive story about Jesus. But as we think about like how that all holds together, part of what we want to teach in academy is as you come to the scriptures, how to understand where scripture fits in the one story narrative, okay? So that's why we're using the, the acronym, Dr. Kaminsky, that she, she came up with, uh, Casket Empty. And so uh, last year, every time I would start teaching, we would do a little drill uh, together and we would celebrate our knowledge together right, which is what every test is, a celebration of knowledge, and so let's celebrate our knowledge together, and let's go through casket empty, no cheating, okay, um, don't, don't look down at your notes, everyone tell me what C is as best you can, okay, all right, what's A, great, S, great, K, E, exile, right, T, temple, okay, 
And bonus, can we get to empty? Have we gotten to New Testament yet? Okay, let's try. E, expectations, right. M, Messiah, right. P, Pentecost, Pentecost, all right. T, teachings, teachings. And Y, yet to come, yet to come. Um, so that's, that's how the whole scripture fits together. And I love this because, you know, Dr. Kaminsky, you can read her bio. Like, she went to Cambridge. She's Old Testament professor at Gordon-Comwell. Very accomplished. Um, but has taken all that and reduced it and made it very simple for us to remember how the scriptures fit together in one story in that acronym. And moreover, I wanted to teach you tonight. You've heard me probably, um, or maybe from up front, teach um, a, another level of that. Um, really underneath the acronym of understanding the three parts of both the Old and the New Testament. Do you guys remember this? The three different parts of the scriptures. Um, And this is so helpful in understanding when you study the scriptures and you come to the scriptures reading for yourself or teaching someone else, where do they fit in? So there's basically three parts of the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. There's foundational works, right? Does anybody remember this? There's historical books of the Bible and there's instructional books. Okay, and so the foundational books of the Bible for the Old Testament we're in right now. We're in the Torah. We're in the law, the Pentateuch, Penta five, five books of the law, and those are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We'll be in Exodus tonight. So those are the foundations of the Hebrew Testament, and in foundational books, we're always looking for God to explain who he is, explain who we are, and how we relate to God. So if you're taking notes, I might have a slide on this. I forget, I'm, I made slides. Um, okay, where are we in the story? Casket empty. All right, here we go. I, I call them coat hangers. So if we remember like, you know, you, in the closet, you're, you're, you're putting your coats or hanging coats on coat hangers. You're putting books of the Bible on coat hangers, but you got to put them on the right coat hanger. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are our foundational books of the Hebrew Testament. They're, they're where God is explaining who he is, explaining who we are, and how we relate to him. And we'll get into that a little bit more tonight, okay? Then we have historical books. And in the Old Testament, we're going to start with Joshua, and we've got 12 historical books in the Old Testament. And it and goes all the way to Esther, Okay, so Joshua to Esther are 12 historical books. And so historical books are where real people in real time are living out who they are, who God is, and how they relate to God. Okay, so these are first-rate historians that are taking, um, you know, snapshots of the people of God in their journey of understanding who he is and who they are and living that out in real time, in real places, with real people, uh, in real events. Okay. Um, And then we have instructional books. And in the Old Testament, uh, that begins with Job and then goes to the book of Malachi. And there are 22 of them. So 39 books in the Hebrew Testament. The foundational books of the Hebrew Testament are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The historical books of the Old Testament are from Joshua to Esther. There's 12 of them. And then the instructional books are from Job to Malachi, and there's 22 of them. Somebody check me on my math. Make sure I'm right on that, okay? So 12 and 5 and 22 for a total of 39, okay? New Testament, just since we're on it, I know you'll be in New Testament next year. Uh, but New Testament, same coat hangers. Foundational, historical, instructional. Our foundational books in the New Testament are the Gospels. So in the Old Testament, it's the Torah, the law. In the New Testament, it's the Gospels. Uh, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just to say, if you're taking notes, put a little star by John, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are known as the synoptics. Has anybody heard that phrase? So if you, if you hear that phrase, you're gonna, you'll, you'll remember this. So synoptic is a Latin word, syn, S-Y-N, meaning one. One optic, one eye. With one eye, we're seeing the story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So they they tell similar stories from a similar point of view, a synoptic. John is different. Um, he's writing in a different category in a different way. Still telling the story of Jesus, but stands apart from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
the Gospels, again, if you're taking notes, the Gospels are a selected biography of who Jesus is. Now, why do I say they're a selective biography? Because John tells us in his last chapter that if, um, you know, all the stories about Jesus were written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all the stories. Um, so he's using hyperbole, but he's basically saying, I didn't write everything down. Um, I just told you what the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. Um, it's a selected biography of who Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit wanted us to know about Jesus, enough to know who he is, enough to be able to follow him and uh, give our lives to him. So the Gospels are the foundational books of the New Testament. What would be our historical book of the New Testament? There's one. Acts, great. And Acts was written by Luke, who was a physician. Uh, Luke wrote the Gospel as well. So uh, he, he wrote it as one work. So if you go and read the Gospel of Luke and then you read the book of Acts, you'll see that they fit right together. Um, and Luke was a first-rate historian. And so more than any other, uh, other book in the New Testament, he's going to tell you places and people and times and names of kings. You'll notice that the description that he uses. Mark was written or, or um, narrated, rather, by Peter. Um, so, so Mark is really Peter's gospel. And Mark is known for an economy of style. So it's, it's right to the point. You jump right into chapter 1, he's right into it. And he's not mincing words. He's not using extra words. He's going right for it. So just really interesting how all this fit together. But Acts is our historical book. And it's the beginning of the church. And it's the history of, again, just like um, the history books of the Old Testament, of real people who are discovering who God is, the foundational books, who they are, and how to live that out in real time and space. Are you guys with me? Is this too much? Okay. And then uh, uh, the 22 books, the 22 instructional books in the Old Testament, 22 instructional books in the New Testament. Um, So from Romans, we're studying, if you go to New City, we're studying Romans right now in a long-form series um, that will end next summer. From Romans all the way to Revelation, we've got our 22 instructional books. And same as the Old Testament. It's instructing the people of God how to relate to God, how to live out a real faith and a real God in a real world full of real problems. Um, So when we studied James last fall, one of the things that we taught that where this is so important is understanding what is the aim of every book. Because when you read James, you might feel like, man, it's kind of light on who Jesus is. Well, the aim of James is not to introduce Jesus to his audience, although he talks about Jesus a lot, who was his brother. But the aim of James is to tell people who are already committed followers of Jesus how to better follow him in a real world full of real problems. Does that make sense? So one of the things that when you study the scriptures, one of the things that, one of the first things that you should do is ask yourself, is this a uh, foundational book? Is this a, a, an historical book? Is this an instructional book? And it's going to help you right away to get those context clues for what is it that God is, is wanting to do here primarily. Now, does it mean that historical books don't have foundational materials? No, of course they do. Does it mean that instructional books don't come back to the foundations? No, of course they do. But it gives you the aim of each book. What is the purpose of the book? So when you find yourself in the scriptures, wherever you may be reading or you hear someone preaching or whatever, you can go, where, where am I at here? And to me, this is really important. When you can take the, the, the three coat hangers here, if you will, categories of scriptures, and then you can put on top of that your casket empty, and you can run it that way. And you could do that. You don't have to do it tonight. But if you do that on a sheet of paper, and you put casket empty, then you put your three coat hangers, and you write out the 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, you're starting to cook with oil. I mean, you've got, you've got a pretty good understanding of the scope of the scriptures, and how they fit together, and again, how they tell the one redemptive story about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. Like, you know, I went to, you know, five years of graduate school, four years of my doctorate, and I never learned this. We learned all kinds of stuff, you know, Greek and Hebrew and all these things, but never learned these basic outlines of how to, you know, structure the scriptures. And a lot of people just miss that. And either dive in really deep, really quick, or stay really far out and never understand, you know, how do you, how do you begin to categorize the Bible? And the truth is, guys, that for most people that you'll disciple, and I'm believing that all of you are going to be discipling someone, or you are right now, or you will. 
it's going to happen. And most people, when they pick up the Bible and they just go like, I mean, <laughs> this is a lot. And where do I, I mean, where do I start? And it's, that's fair, right? I mean, I think that's really fair. And how does this all fit together? And wait a second, it, it's, not, it's not like chronological. It doesn't all go in that way. And you begin to, you know, get really confused. And a lot of people just go here like you, I mean, you're the professional. Like you, you, you take it and just tell me. And they get so intimidated. And, and, and I've been intimidated before by the scriptures. It's easy to be intimidated. And maybe you have too. You know, where you've been studying or, you, you know, you've come to the scriptures and just gone, I don't know what to make of this. And it's stuff like this and the work that you're doing right now that helps to, um, to, to approach the scriptures not in an intimidating way, but to understand how they fit together and actually begin to make sense of here's why this is written in this way. Um, here's why this is emphasizing what it is. Here's, here's why the language is different here than it is over here. Does that make sense? So to me, this is so important. Um, I don't know if you're, t- if you're taking notes. I know that's not in our material and Carol's material, but I just would say this is a really important takeaway to be able to begin to not only use your acronym, but to use the coat hangers and understand when people are talking to the script about the scriptures, they come to you with questions about the scriptures to, to be able to sh- show them, well, you're in an instructional book right now. And if you haven't settled the foundational things in your life, the gospels, the instructions are not going to make sense. Um, or you're out of order here because you're reading, you know, um, you know, way down in the, in the weeds of like how we're meant to live out our faith, but you haven't settled who Jesus is in your heart yet. So none of this is, does this make sense? So that's not going to make sense to you. Why is Acts giving you all these figures and facts and places and whatever? Well, because it's a history book. It's not primarily meant to be a gospel. It's meant to be telling you how real people lived out of real faith in real time. Um, so I, want, I didn't want to miss just teaching that. I hope it's helpful to you. You know, on top of the acronym, the acronym is, is, is money. It's great. But if you take that as well and put it over top of it, you've really got something to understand the scriptures and, and how they all fit together. Okay, let's get back to Exodus. By the way, what is Exodus? It's a foundational book. It's a foundational book. So we are still busy trying to answer the questions, what do foundational books do? Who is God, who am I, and how do I relate to him? Who is God, who am I, and how do I relate to him? So the Torah and the Gospels are answering those three questions. So all these stories, you know, Daniel talked about parallels. All these stories are helping us to understand more of who is God, who am I, and how do I relate to him? Those are the primary questions in the foundational books of the Bible. So Michelle just read to us Exodus 1 verse 8 that in those days a new king, a new pharaoh rose who didn't know Joseph and, you know, didn't have a regard for him and his people. And things start to go south from there, right? So Israel was enslaved for, does anyone remember from your reading how many years they were enslaved in Egypt? 400 years, great. They were enslaved for 400 years, so multiple generations. And the problem is that they continued to increase and multiply. And so their numbers swelled to where they were getting uh, bigger and bigger and bigger and a threat to the Egyptians. And uh, this pharaoh was, very, we don't know which pharaoh this was, but was very shrewd and began to think about how he could basically enact genocide for population control. So his plan was to kill all the, the firstborn males. Um, any males that were born would, would, would kill them for a season of time, including our main character who comes on the scene here, whose name is Moses. Okay, so turn over to Exodus 2, and we're introduced to Moses and his family. And he's born under this you know, death sentence, if you will, of a pharaoh who wants to remain um, in control. So let me catch up to my slides here. All right. And what I want to teach here in our first section are the three section uh, sections of Moses' life. Now, you've probably heard this from every teacher or facilitator. This is a lot of material in every section. So we're going to do a sur- some, some survey work tonight, and candidly, I've just curated some stuff that I think is interesting. You may not. Um, there's other things that you can go further into for sure in the readings. And I want to encourage you every single week um, to go further. That's why we gave you the books and the materials and the extra readings uh, and the scriptures to go further. But tonight, I want to talk about a couple things. And the first is I want to talk about the life of Moses because he's such a, a, an integral character in understanding who God is, who we are, and how we relate to him. Moses lived 120 years. So if you're taking notes, 
uh, his life divides out into three 40-year increments, okay? And in each of those three, we see something really special and interesting happening in his life. And so I'm picking up here from Exodus chapter 2. The first 40 years of his life, beginning, of course, with his birth, he spends in the house of Pharaoh, okay? And we learn a little bit in Exodus 2 and, of, and, and, and a spillover in Exodus 3 about how he ended up there and, and all the things. And I thought we could just for tonight read a few selected verses. If I could have a reader for Exodus 2, 11 through 15, we'll pick up on this first part of Moses' life, the first 40 years in the house of Pharaoh with this, with this passage. Exodus 2, 11 through 15. If you, if you got it and you feel led, just, just start reading it. Thank you so much. Okay, so Moses has the heart of a rescuer. We see that. He's, he's got something in him that wants justice. Um, we don't know if he realizes that he was a Hebrew at this point because he only knew a, um, an Egyptian way of life in the house of Pharaoh. But something draws him to his people, the Hebrews who don't recognize him as, as one of their own and wants justice for them. So he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew, and he kills him. Um, so I just want to highlight here, we have a calling as a redeemer. That's who uh, Moses was. He was a redeemer. He was a forerunner of Jesus as a redeemer and rescuer. And, our, of course, our lesson tonight is rescuer and, and reveal, you know, God rescues and reveals. But we have someone that has a calling that doesn't have character. We have someone that has an innate sense of calling for justice in his life, but has not yet developed the character to go along with that. You don't have to raise your hand or call, but any of you ever been in a place in your life where you had a strong calling, um, a sense of right and wrong or justice or something that needed to be done, but you didn't yet have the character to match that calling? Um, a lot of uh, people, a lot of leaders go through this where they innately, instinctually have a calling to do something, um, to step in. Uh, we see it on the playground all the time with different kids, you know, that to want to make something right, but they take matters into their own hands and they don't yet have the experience and the character to rightly harness that calling. Maybe that's you in your life. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. So the next part of Moses' life is basically taking him from this kind of unharnessed uh, bucking bronco, if you will, that has a lot of calling and wants to make things right, but doesn't have the character yet to match that. And God is always about matching up our character with our calling. When those things get out of whack, uh, people get in trouble. And so our character always has to keep up with our calling. And so God does something here, and at the end of our reading, we, we get a glimpse in it. Uh, the second part of Moses' life, which remember, 40, 40, 40, the second 40 years of Moses' life are spent in a place called Midian, and the word Midian in Hebrew literally means wilderness or nowhere. So God took him to the middle of nowhere. He went to Midian, and I just want you to look at the passage real quick, or maybe just uh, jot it down, Exodus 2.15 Uh, This is one of my favorite passages in the Hebrew text uh, because I think when you really sit with a passage and you meditate on it, it's so descriptive of, you know, Moses going into Midian and sitting down by a well. And I just wonder, and, and maybe you do too, like what he must have been thinking sitting there. He's 40 years old. He just killed someone. He's been found out. 
He grew up in, a, in the lap of luxury in Pharaoh's house, having everything at his fingertips. He was an, he was an Egyptian, but not really. He wasn't an, accepted as a full-blooded Egyptian because he wasn't. He was a Hebrew, but not really. He wasn't accepted in the Hebrews. So he is having a, a major identity crisis. I don't really know who I am. I don't, I'm not Egyptian. I'm not Hebrew. Um, I don't have a home. I don't have a job. I don't know that I have a future. And I think this is just such a vivid passage, and I wonder how many of you might relate to that in different seasons of your life or even right now where you're sitting by the proverbial well and just wondering, like, have I lived the best days of my life and where do things go from here? Um, And at that well, something happens. I think I've got another reading for us here. Um, In Exodus 2, again, let's pick it up in verse 18. I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. Verses 18 through 22. Now we're in the second part of Moses' life. So the first part is the house of Pharaoh. Now we're in the house of Jethro. We're going to get introduced to Jethro here. Um, In Exodus chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. So if you have it and you want to read it out loudly, go for it. Thank you. Um, Okay, so Jethro has daughters. His daughters are watering the flock. In that culture, um, you know, it was a male-dominated culture, so male shepherds would push them out of the way so they could water their flocks first. Um, Here comes our Redeemer, Rescuer, who's having like an existential um, midlife or third of a life crisis here. Like he's having his own moment here by the well. And, 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 you know, God's providence, right? And all these stories in the middle of his crisis where he's wondering, like, is my life over? And what do I have to offer to the world? And what am I going to do? And where am I going to live? And, you know, where am I going to go? Here comes this other problem. And he's watching these other shepherds push the daughters and the girls away And here's our Redeemer who can't stand it because he has this innate sense of justice and right and wrong, and he has a calling on his life to rescue and redeem people. And he's working to get the the character to match it. And this time, Moses steps up and in the middle of his own crisis, um, you know, pushes all the other shepherds away, makes sure that Jethro's daughters, who he doesn't know yet, uh, have their flock watered, and then sends them on their way. And they get home, and they tell their dad about this, and Jethro says, you know, well, why didn't you invite him here? I want to get to know him. And so he becomes a member of Jethro's family, marries one of his daughters, and gives birth to a son, and gives the son the name that means I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. Think about that. I mean, I don't know if I wouldn't want my name to mean that necessarily, but it gives, a, it gives an insight into Moses' heart, doesn't it? I mean, he's having a crisis of identity. And he says, I don't belong. You know, I don't belong back in Egypt. I don't belong here. I don't belong with the Hebrews. I don't have a place in this world. Um, and he basically spends, you can go and read it for yourself. He spends the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd in Midian, which means what? The middle of nowhere, the wilderness, so he spends 40 years in obscurity, basically. He's also the middle of his life. So it's, it's, the, it's the middle 40 years. Great point. So he's, he's literally in the middle. And he's in this middle place um, that, that is desolate and seems to have, you know, nothing but just sitting out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of animals. And it's in that place that God begins to shape his heart. And I just, I don't want to miss this because... I think a lot of times in our own lives, we kind of look around and go, man, I want to be doing X. I want to be doing Y. 
I wish I was doing this. Or we look back and we go, I used to be doing X. I used to be doing Y. I used to be doing all these great things. So the best part of my life is back here. Or the best part of my life is out here, but I don't know how to get there. And I think this is a great principle from Moses' life for our lives um, and how God works, that God's always busy catching up our character to our calling. And sometimes that can happen quickly through an experience or a moment or a mentor. Sometimes it takes 40 years in the middle of nowhere um, with a bunch of animals for God to, to work and move, and that was the case for Moses. So now fast forward, getting to the third part of his life, which is the mountain of God and where we're going next. He's how old now? He's 80 years old. And here's the thing, okay? The best was still yet to come for Moses. But if you'd have told a 60-year-old Moses that, I don't think he would have believed that. You know, what happened to me back in Egypt 20 years ago, I'm trying to get over, I'm just trying to forget about it and live a peaceful life, you know? Um, But God had other plans for him. And all those dreams and desires and that, that calling that he had on him, God was busy forming character to match it. And in God's sovereignty, at just the right moment when the character was formed in his heart and it matched his calling, we have Exodus 3. Okay, Let's see if we can get one more reader here. Um, Exodus 3, we have the mountain of God. And we're just going to read an excerpt of it. You can read all of chapter 3 to, ga- to grab all of it. But in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 6, we get this really supernatural, amazing moment here of God explaining himself to us. Exodus 3, 1 through 6. Thank you so much. All right, so just really quickly, and this is one of these, you know, um, yeah, just foundational passages in the scripture. But what did, what did you hear um, when you heard the passage read or when you were reading along? What's, what stands out to you about Exodus 3, 1 through 6, knowing in particular, as we do tonight, that Moses is 80 years old. He spent 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, 40 years in the house of Jethro. I mean, literally goes from the penthouse to the outhouse, and now he's on the mountain of God. What did you hear in the passage that sticks out to you? He wasn't afraid until God revealed himself. Here I am. Yeah, what a great word. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. So all these years, who am I? Who am I? I'm not. I'm not an Egyptian. I don't feel like I belong to the Hebrews. <clears throat> I'm a for. I named my firstborn child. I'm, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, which is an insight into his heart, how he feels about himself. And now, when God reveals himself to Moses. He says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's beautiful. Beautiful word of identity. Yeah. Anything else? Unex- totally unexpected. I mean, he's he's been 40 years in the wilderness. This has never happened before. Uh, that a bush is burning and it's not what? It's not consumed. It's not consumed. Now, 
in the Hebrew Testament, whenever the angel of the Lord, when that phrase, the angel of the Lord, um, appears, it's really, we're meant to be tipped off to, this is what's known as a theophany, um, which is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Hebrew Testament. So th- this, you know, just, this is Jesus speaking to Moses from the burning bush and identifying himself to Moses. Um, and we get two, you know, Moses is um, is meant to be a foreshadowing, a forerunner of Jesus as, as rescuer and redeemer. And we have the two of them. This is just so amazing. Really face-to-face, so to speak, uh, in the encounter of the burning bush, which is just one of these moments in the scriptures that is, is so amazing. Um, so we have three parts to Moses' life. I hope, I hope you'll um, hold on to this. Um, 120 years, the first 40 years are him in the house of Pharaoh. The next 40 years are in the house of Jethro as a foreigner in a foreign land. And then we've got 40 years that he finally stepped, he matches his character and his calling and finally steps into his life as a redeemer and a rescuer. And that continues on, of course, as we get past Exodus 3. But I want us to take a quick little break here um, and um, switch to your, to your tables. And by the way, table leaders, don't forget to take attendance tonight. Um, but we've got, got a few questions, and I think I've got them on the slides too here if you need to look up. Um, but we'd love for you to spend a few minutes talking about these questions, and then we're going to come back and we're going to spend time on Exodus 4 through 16, which are set, set in series of miraculous signs. So let's take uh, maybe 8 to 10 minutes at our tables, and then we'll come back together. Okay, um, I hope it was a great discussion. Let's jump into our next section, and we're going to talk about miraculous signs, because if you were able to read the text this week along with your readings in the book, Exodus 4 through chapter 16 are full of miraculous signs, including the 10 plagues uh, of Egypt. But actually, the signs start well before that, you know, in Exodus 3 with the burning bush, and then we get into Exodus 4, and we see all kinds of things happen. I just thought maybe we would read a little portion here to start in Exodus 4. Let's read through verse 5. So Exodus 4, verses 1 through 5. And this is maybe you could understand this as the beginning of many, many miraculous signs that God uh, showed to Moses after the burning bush that was, again, this is a foundational book, is confirming who God is, who Moses is, and how Moses is meant to relate to him. So Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. If we have a reader, go for it. All right, thank you. <clears throat> so uh, Moses is told, remember, what, what did he do the second part of his life in Midian? He's a shepherd, so he's got a staff. And God says to Moses, what's in your hand? Uh, which is a great question for us, too. You know, uh, what's in your hand? What do you bring to the table? Uh, what, what are your skills? What are your, you know, experiences? What's your story? Uh, what, what do you bring to bear? Um, and basically, God asks him and he asked us uh, to throw it down, to give it back to him. And it turns into a serpent and Moses is afraid, which is kind of funny because he spends 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, but he's running away from a snake. Uh, but to, to be fair, his staff turned into a snake. So let's give him some credit. Um, so he's afraid. And that would be me too. I, I can't stand snakes. Um, but he says, you know, I want you to have faith and reach down with your hand um, and pick it back up, and what happens? It turns back into a staff. Um, so I do want to just, uh, yeah, that is trust. Great point. Can everyone hear that? Can you, can you just say one more? Yeah. 
That's a great point. I've never thought about that. Uh, I'm not grabbing him by anything. I'm getting a shovel. But, um, yeah, he, he grabs the snake by the tail, and it immediately becomes a staff again. And I do think before we just, there's so much here, but I do think this is a great principle of the Lord asking Moses, obviously, to trust, um, but to, to throw down, to give up basically what he has. What do, you, what do you bring to the table? To me, this is a five loaves, two fish type experience here. What do you have? Um, to give it to the Lord. Uh, the Lord does something miraculous with it, and then when he picks it back up, it's different, isn't it? Uh, it's the same staff. It's the same, your same story, the same gifts that you had, but something is transformed. Something's different. And what's different? Look at verse 5. Just in summary, what, what, you know, what is God saying through this, through these signs? Because we're not going to be able to get through all the signs tonight. But what are the signs meant to do? Just exactly what the miracles were meant to do in the New Testament, by the way. Prove. They're meant to prove that, you know, how does it read verse 5? Yes. So this was, this was a sign specifically for whom? For the Jews, for the Hebrews, uh, to believe that Moses was their redeemer, the one that God had raised up. Because uh, a generation has passed, how many years? Yeah, no, from when he was in Egypt. 40 years, right? So a generation has passed. Anybody that knew Moses before who was his contemporary knew him for his crime or knew him you know, as this weird kid that wasn't really an, uh, an Egyptian but was a Hebrew that didn't really fit in there. And now he's coming back to say, I'm here to lead you, um, you know, into the promised land and, and um, out of, out of um, slavery in Egypt. And so God gives him this, um, this sign to give uh, to the people that you've been called to do this. And he takes a common thing, a staff, but transforms it into something miraculous uh, that Moses could use as a sign that the Lord was with him and, and had called him. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think, you know, for many of us in our lives, let me keep up with my slides here, um, that God does the same thing, that asks us to, what's in your hand, to give it to him, and then to take it back, but it's changed, it's different, uh, because God's touched it, and it's, it's transformed into something else that becomes not a sign about your life, but becomes a sign that points uh, to the life of, of Jesus and the life that you now have in him. So it's, it's a transformative sign. And that's what all the miracles are meant to be. They're meant, they're meant to point to the authority and the power of God and his calling, in this instance, specifically in Moses' life. So as we read through, uh, just for time's sake, chapters 4 through 16, if you're taking notes, and Carol talks about this in the book, um, that these are miraculous signs that God does to confirm mo to Moses his calling, to the, the Hebrews that Moses has been called, and then uh, uh, the plagues uh, to the Egyptians, and namely to, to who? To Pharaoh, um, that what Moses is saying is true. And does anyone remember, just really quickly, we can't spend too much time on this, but does anyone remember the final plague and, and what that leads to? Yeah, death. Death of the firstborn. So we're in uh, Exodus 12, um, and that was finally what broke Pharaoh. Uh, and just, yeah, let's just go there for a second. If you go to Exodus 12 and look at verse, I'll, I'll just read it for the sake of time. Finally, after the confirmation signs to Moses, the ten plagues, which end with the death of the firstborn, including Pharaoh's own son, uh, Pharaoh calls in Moses an arrow, and he says, and this is literally how it's translated in the NLT, get out. So he goes from you can't leave, you can't leave, you can't leave, to please get out. Um, just take whatever you want, basically, and leave. Um, and that's, that's the end of, of the signs to Pharaoh and to Egypt, proving the authority and the power of God. Okay, now we're on the journey. So, yes, Kaylin. 31. Uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, is Pharaoh saying, get out. Okay, so Moses and Aaron go to the people, and they gather. Um, they, you know, the scriptures say they plunder the Egyptians, you know, meaning that they take supplies 
um, and things that they need for the journey. And again, what is this a, a little f- just foreshadow of? Um, who was another redeemer that had to, you know, flee and took things that were given, resources that were provided, and flees not to the promised land, but from the promised land back to Africa? Jesus. Um, the gifts of the wise men were probably what financed their trip um, and allowed them to escape um, the wrath of Herod. Pretty interesting. Okay, so now we're on the journey, and the next miraculous sign that we see happens in Exodus 14. And does anyone remember or read this week um, about what happened there? If you were, if you watched the Ten Commandments growing up, you'll think about this one, right? Charlton Heston moment here. The parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, just this incredible moment. And... You know, you'll remember, of course, the, the people of God are backed up against the sea. Uh, Pharaoh has them hemmed, hemmed in. Uh, militarily speaking, you know, they're dead rights. Um, and God parts the sea, and they're able to walk through it. And then, miraculously, the sea, you know, crushes uh, back down upon the Egyptian army, and they're able to escape. Now, um, something interesting happens that maybe you don't realize here, too, that I don't want to skip over while we're in it. Uh, this is the first recorded congregational worship and song that happens um, in the life of God's people is in Exodus 15. So it's the first recorded song in the Bible in Exodus chapter 15, and Moses leads the people in singing. Um, so sometimes, you know, if you ever wonder, like, why do we sing in church? You know, why is this such, you know, um, well, we see it right here, um, very early in the life of God's people, that singing was meant to be a part of how we express our love and affection for God. And so God gives Moses a song, and they, they lead that song in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 15. It's pretty cool. You can go and read that. All right, and then Exodus 16, our next sign is something called manna. All right, and manna in the Hebrew language literally means, what is it? So for, for many, many years, uh, God had his people... Um, you know, eating what is it, and and quail as 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 well, but this flaky substance that came from heaven, um, and we'll read more about that as we get into the story. Um, that every single day they had to trust God for manna, and there's a narrative where they tried to store up manna in jars, and uh, whenever they tried to store it up, it would rot and it would stink, um, and it was basically a lesson every day of trusting God. Um, Yes, for the Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, but the principle was they had to trust God um, every single day um, for his provision. If they tried to get ahead of it, or like many of us would, store up for a rainy day, um, you know, God would, God would cause it to rot. Okay, we get to Exodus 17. I know I'm up against it here. And God gives them water from, from a rock in Exodus uh, 17. And then we get to the base of Mount Horeb, or the mountain of God. And this is the same mountain, by the way. We've done a full circle, just for those of you keeping score. This is where Moses was on the mountain, um, where he comes to the burning bush. So he's done a full circle loop. Now he's got all the people of God with him, and he's back to the mountain. Okay? And let's go into our final section here about the Sinai Covenant. So remember, in our casket empty, we're kind of where we are here. So we're in the Sinai section here. And God's going to give his people a covenant, and uh, better known as the Ten Commandments. Um, again, Charlton Heston, you can picture it in your mind's eye. If you never saw that, do yourself a favor. It really is amazing um, how they were able to do that in that time, um, and a great depiction of the story. Um, so Moses is led back to the mountain to meet with God. And in Exodus 19, God's preparing him and speaking to him. And then in Exodus 20, begins to deliver him. Uh, this covenant, this promise um, that was going to keep the people of God in right relationship with him and, and with one another. And a couple things just to point out about the Sinai covenant. So the first three commandments, really four, are about how the people relate to God. Um, so if you look at all the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the first four are about how we worship and how we relate to him. And then the others about how we relate to our family and to one another. Um, which is a, a great ordering of the covenant, something to pay attention to. The word covenant means promise. And what I want to teach tonight um, that I really want to foot stomp when you think about the Ten Commandments 
because again, full circle here to the story and how all the story fits together. Um, many people, when they're thinking about the Ten Commandments, think about the Ten Commandments given to initiate the relationship with God to people. But we know in our Old Testament Academy class that that's not true. Uh, when were the Ten Commandments, the Sinai Covenant, given in the story? After God's rescued his people. Okay, so th- what's the principle? God gives the covenant at Sinai, which was a conditional covenant. The, the, the covenant with Abraham was unconditional. It was by faith. Conditional covenant at Sinai is blessing as you live according to my will in relationship to me and other people. You hear the difference? And the covenant that was given at Sinai was given to keep free people free. Okay? It was not given to free people. They were already freed. God had already been faithful to be their redeemer and rescuer and to raise up Moses to do that. Later on, he's going to send his own son to do that for us. He had already freed them from, from slavery. Now he's giving them the Ten Commandments to keep them free. This, has, this is so important for us because oftentimes people think about the Ten Commandments or the law as something that we have to perform or do to get into right relationship with God or to stay in right relationship with God or for God to love us or care about us. God already loved his people. He already cared about his people. Exodus 2.25, the Lord saw, the Lord knew. He looked upon his people. He raised up Moses to rescue them. Then he gives them the covenant, the Ten Commandments, to keep them free. So probably a crude analogy, but you think about like um, if you have a favorite dog, and we're not, you know, we're not a pet to, to God, so the analogy breaks down. But just to understand the principle of this. And, and you, you let him run free in the neighborhood. And he doesn't have a collar, and he doesn't have whatever, and he's running across in and out of traffic. And you would look at the owner and you would say, dude, like, don't you care about your dog? Like, you should put him on a, a leash. You should build a fence. You, could, you should keep him in, in your house. You should put boundaries around him to protect him and keep him free. The analogy breaks down. You're not a pet to, you know, to God. But you understand the principle that God gave boundaries, guardrails, a fence to keep his freed people free. And what he was saying to Moses and to the people is as you live this out, you, you keep our, our covenant relationship, you keep our fellowship with one another and our connection. And when you don't, remember it's an unconditional or it's a conditional covenant. When you don't, the Lord's blessing is lifted from you. And so what God was doing here was telling the people that this is how you relate to me. I'm going to teach you again how you relate to me. I'm going to teach you how you relate to one another. Because one of the things that happen, and it happens for us too, is we're on the journey, and we all are right now. We're on the journey from Egypt to the promised land with Jesus leading us into eternity, into the promised land, from slavery to freedom. But sometimes it takes a long time to get the Egypt out of you on the way to the promised land. And so even though you've been freed from Egypt, there's still a lot of Egypt that's still in our hearts. And the purpose of the covenant was to help uh, free people to remain free and to keep the Egypt out of their hearts. And we're going to see as we go through the rest of the narrative that when the people got in trouble, which they did oftentimes, it didn't take them long. Remember uh, after you know Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, he throws them on the ground because what are the people doing? They're already worshiping another God that they've created. Right? Because our hearts are vacuums that want to worship. And this was the whole point, to keep a free people free and to, to get the Egypt out of them. And it's the same point for us, guys. As we think about foundational, historical, and instructional books, the instructional books, specifically the New Testament, are to help keep free people who understand the foundations of grace in Jesus free in Jesus. That was the whole point. And so I want to I just finish here from our study right now that we're in Romans chapter 3. We just finished verse 20, and I want to read it to you again because it popped into my heart when I was studying for this um, in the context of everything we're talking about in the Sinai Covenant, which, again, uh, Paul, who wrote Romans, studied this his whole life. The Torah was his life. And, And listen to these words. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
So I want you to think about that in the context of what we're learning in the Hebrew Testament, that ultimately all of this was a pointer to Jesus, that even in giving the covenant, God knew that his people could never keep it perfectly, but there was going to be one that was going to be a perfect covenant keeper that was going to keep the law for us. Again, every story in the Bible is a story about Jesus. So even as we, tonight, we've talked about some monumental stories, and you guys have done great sticking with it here. We've talked about the call of Moses, the burning bush, miracles, the 10 plagues, the giving of the Sinai covenant. All of these were meant to be a picture, a forerunner of Jesus coming to be our covenant keeper, coming to be a new Moses. That's who Jesus was. The best Moses who would lead his people out of slavery, not a physical place, but a spiritual place of slavery to a promised land. And that's the journey that we're on together. So I want to give us enough time for one more breakout here uh, to have a couple more questions around the table. Some hopefully um, questions that will spark you and your interest. There's their passage. Sorry, I wasn't great with the slides tonight. Um, Here's our breakout questions. Um, you know, what does um, Exodus 14, the Red Sea, show us about God? So what I'm looking for there is, just, is if you were able to read the narrative, and if you weren't, it's okay. But someone around your table, if you read the narrative, you know, tell us the things that you discovered about God as you, you think about the details of what he did in Exodus 14. Um, how does this shape God's people um, after the parting of the Red Sea? Or, you know, for good and for bad, because it wasn't long after that they're forgetting um, why does it matter when the c- commandments were given? Okay, this is the one I'm going to footstomp. If you don't get anything else out of this class tonight, I hope you're going to get this, that the Ten Commands were given after f- people were already freed. They were given to keep free people free, not to free people. It was never the law that freed people. It was the law that helped keep free people free. Um, the instructions of God were meant to be conditional instructions for their blessing and for their keeping, so I know I already gave the answer away, but there's, there's that question. All right, and then number four, how is this an application for you today? And we're going to transition that fourth question into a little bit of personal reflection time. Um, you know, every week in your journal, if you have it, we just want to take a couple of minutes and write out, you know, what did you learn this week? Whether it was uh, in your readings, uh, in your discussion groups, or in the teaching, what's something, what's one thing that you'll, you'll take away a bottom line this week uh, from this part of our redemptive story? All right. Um, I'll come back and and close us tonight in in prayer. Let's take um, maybe like five, six, seven minutes. Thanks, guys. Okay, guys, I'm going to just encourage you to wrap up your table discussions and maybe just spend a minute or two in personal reflection, that last question of what's an application, what's something for you during the study this week in your readings, your discussion, the teaching, that you'll carry with you. So just take a minute or two and maybe just journal, write about that in your journal or wherever you want to take notes. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us to close. All right, guys, I'm going to pray for us. You're welcome to stay. If you want to continue to read, I'm or, uh, write. I refuse to be the one that lets us out late. I already do that enough on Sunday. So I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for this group. Um, just a joy to be together tonight and to open your word and to read about how you rescue and you reveal, and you continue to do that, and we give you thanks for that. So I pray for each of my friends that you'll continue to give them insight into your word and to who you are, and continue to shape them and mold them into your disciples and to and into disciple makers for people around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. It was a joy to be with you. Thank you.